Let's pray. Lord, we've already enjoyed so much of you and we look forward now to another drink from the well of your glory. I ask Holy Spirit that you would empower the preaching of your word now, which involves all of us, me as I speak, and, and then each one of us as we receive your word with faith. Lord, may each one of us be active in this process. Lord, don't let anyone just hear words, but I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see and know and love the Lord Jesus more than we did before because of our encounter with your word. And Father, I know that you want this. We know that you delight in your son. So we expect that in the way that's best to you, you're going to honor Jesus among us here now. We pray this with faith and in Jesus' name, amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. In 1914, a homesteader named Eleanor Stewart wrote a series of letters to a friend that described a, a wagon trip started off in the Wyoming desert. She was on a, an elk hunting trip. And on the first day, she describes in this letter overtaking another wagon where, quote, in a wobbly old buckboard sat a young couple completely engrossed by each other. That he was a Westerner, we knew by his cowboy hat and boots. That she was an Easterner, by her not knowing how to dress for the ride across the desert. And Eleanor Stewart went on to describe how late that, later on that night when they set up camp, she met the young couple and she learned, quote, our young couple were bride and groom. And, and, and up until I let you know, I'm just quoting her letter. They had never seen each other until the night before, having met through a matrimonial paper. They had met in Green River and were married that morning, and the young husband was taking her away up to Pinedale to his ranch. The newlyweds were, as the bride put it, so full of happiness they had nothing to put in. Certainly their spirits overflowed. They were Mr. and Mrs. Tom Burney. She's the oldest of a large family of children and has had to work out ever since she was big enough to get a job. The people she had worked for rather frowned upon any matrimonial ventures, which means marriage, and as no provision was made for help entertaining company, she had never had a beau, a boyfriend. One day she got hold of a matrimonial paper and saw Mr. Bernie's ad. She answered, and they corresponded for several months. End quote. And a matrimonial paper, in my understanding, was like a series of classified ads where the men who were homesteading out west could put in an ad for brides from back east. Now, this was not like online dating, okay? These men were homesteaders. There was literally no one else where they were. They were, they were breaking new ground and, and there were no eligible women there at all. They were all settlers. And so 
they could post these ads and adventurous young women could answer the ad and the couple would get to know each other through letter writing for a time. And, and, and as I did a bit of research on this this week, it was interesting to hear other couples report falling in love throughout this process. And, 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 and how, regardless of the intensity of their feelings, committing to marry the other person, though they had never seen them with their eyes. And like the story that we just read, it seems like a lot of these, a lot of these turned out pretty good. This is hard for us to wrap our heads around today because we live in a culture that is profoundly visual. I mean, we've all got cameras in our pockets, at pretty good cameras, depending on what phone you have. We've got really good cameras in our pockets. And, and there's this phrase that, that, we, that we have, uh, pics or it didn't happen, which reinforces this idea that without seeing, there can be no believing. If I don't see it, I, I can't believe it. If you know, uh, so it, it's interesting to, to compare uh, this, these matrimonial papers with, with online dating these days. And if you know anything at all about online dating, it's all about the visual, the picture, trying to make yourself look attractive as people just swipe through these pictures. And, 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 and it's what they look, what, it's, it's, it's what catches their eye visually as opposed to what happened 150 or 100 years ago where it was primarily about, about words, getting to know someone using the medium of words. We're, we're, we're a very visual culture. Now, I've, I've never engaged in online dating, but I know that this seeps into all areas of our life. Last, uh, last week, uh, we, at, last Sunday afternoon at the men's skeet shoot, we were all taking turns shooting clay targets out of the, out of the air. And my oldest son stepped up to the line to take his first ever shot with a shotgun. And, and, the, and the clay got launched and he lifted up the gun and just obliterated it out of the sky. Direct hit, he made everybody else look bad. It was amazing. Yes, I'm a proud dad. But, but here's the thing, I didn't take a video of it. I, I, I have no proof that it happened. Picture it didn't happen, right? And there have been some points this week I have been more frustrated that I didn't get a video than happy that it happened in the first place. Isn't that strange? But that's, that's the way that our, our culture has, 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 has uh, conditioned us to be. If we don't see it, well, it didn't happen. Now, not all of this is bad. God built Adam and Eve with two sets of eyes. In our world, people who are blind can learn to get along quite well, but, but it is a struggle. One of the great blessings in the promised future that God has promised us is sight. Think of the last chapter in the Bible, in the new creation, it's God's children who will be with him, and it says, quote, they will see his face. That's Revelation 22, four. That, that's one of the great hopes ahead of us that we're actually gonna get to see him. We're actually gonna to get to see the Lord. Seeing Jesus is what Peter was pointing to in the last part of verse seven, which Josh brought to us last week. When it talks about the test of genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and honor and glory, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation means an unveiling. It's 
it's it's talking about when Jesus comes and, and we actually get to see him. But what about what about today? What does faith look like without sight? What does it look like to believe in Jesus, to believe in someone that right now we don't see? This is an important question. And before we just dive into looking at it, one of the things we want to notice is how back and forth Peter has gone in these first verses as he draws our attention to both the, the, the future and the present. The, the, the not yet part of our salvation that we don't yet have because it's in the future and the right now, the already, the present part of our salvation that we do have right now. So just let's go back. And there's a reason we read from starting in verse three together. If we go back to verse three, we saw there that God is to be praised. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's caused us to be born again to a bright future, right? We saw Peter describes that bright future as an inheritance uh, and, and he describes it in other ways um, he, he talks about being born again to a living hope, to an inheritance, and then he talks about salvation ready to be revealed. So God is to be praised because of what's coming in the future. Then in verse five, we start to shift back to the present. It says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now, now we're in the present. What's going on right now? So we got an inheritance in the future. Right now, we're being guarded by faith. But then what's verse five go on to say? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So now we're, we're, we're back to the future. And we're now looking at what's coming. Then in verse six, we shift back to the present. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. We're back in the present time. And that's where we looked at last week. Trials that purify our faith like gold in a smelter. You know, it's interesting, in the ancient world, uh, gold was, was a really important metal, it was a very important currency and was used to make things that were valuable. And, and one of the ways in the ancient world that you would test to make sure whether gold was pure or not was to, to put it in a furnace, a smelter, and turn up the heat. They actually still do this today in mines. Even though we've got all new technology, this is still one of the ways when they're first mining it, and you turn up the heat, and gold has a higher melting point than lead or some of the other things, even silver, that get mixed in there. So you turn up the heat, and everything that's not gold gets burned off, and what you're left with is the pure thing. And Peter says to the Christians, this is what's going on for you right now. God is testing the purity of your faith by turning up the heat. Just like gold in a fire, these trials are refining you. They're burning away the stuff that doesn't matter. And just like gold, just like gold, real faith survives the fire. Real faith perseveres to the end. And at the end, we shift back to the future again, where we saw in verse eight that our genuine tested faith that's been tested by fire and all the junk's been burned off, sorry, end of verse seven, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So now we're looking again to the future as we wait for his return. 
Jesus will get praise and glory and honor when he returns. We know that. That's 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says that's what he's coming for, to be marveled at among his saints. But the wonder that Josh pointed to last week is that Jesus is going to share this glory with us. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we're looking for. So, so just notice, okay, Peter has moved us back and forth between present and future, present and future. In many ways, this is what his whole book is about. This is what First Peter is about, is living between two worlds. We know that our tested genuine faith will bring glory to Jesus when he returns. But what about now? What about today? What does tested genuine faith look like today? And that's what verses eight and nine are describing for us. Sam Storms explains, verse eight describes what is left of Christian faith after it has passed through the furnace of afflictions. That, that's kind of just, this is why, again, we need to go back to the beginning and follow through and trace Peter's thought. We've seen that our faith is being tested by fire. It's being purified. It's being shown to be the real thing. And when Jesus returns, that faith is going to result in praise, glory, and honor. Today, today, what, what's going on with our faith today? After it's been tested by fire, after it's been refined and all the junk has been burnt off, what are we left with? And what we're left with is the pure gold that's described in verses eight and nine. We're gonna see two major truths here with some sub points that's there in your outline and you'll be able to follow along. The first truth we discover here is that pure, tested faith today results in and shows itself in loving someone we've never seen. So just Again, think about this. One day, Jesus is going to be revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But today, by a fire-tested faith, we love him, though he has not yet been revealed. Now, Peter introduces this whole idea of loving Jesus that we have not yet seen in verse 8 when he says, though you have not yet seen him. Now, in English, we have to start a new sentence here for it to make sense, period, capital T, though you have not yet seen him. It's interesting, though, remember, in the original language, this is a big run-on sentence. And, and it would sound more like this, that our faith will result in, quote, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen, you love. Right? That's how it kind of connects on. Oh, we're talking about Jesus. You haven't seen him yet. He hasn't been revealed yet, but... Having not seen him, you love him. Now what's interesting here is Peter is, is pointing his, his readers back and he's causing them to realize they'd never seen Jesus. Think about what this would mean coming in a letter from someone who had seen Jesus. Just think about that. Peter had seen Jesus. Peter had spent three years with him. I mean, certain memories of Jesus must just have been burned into, into Peter's mind. I think especially the cross. I wonder how often Peter's memories turned into dreams where he would see Jesus' face or he would hear his voice. I mean, Peter had seen Jesus, but his readers hadn't. His readers were people 
like us, who had come to faith in Jesus from the testimony of others. They had heard the apostles preach, they believed, but they themselves had never seen Jesus. Nevertheless, having not seen Jesus, they love him. Note, note the, the present tense and the, and the past tense. Though you have not seen him, verse 8, you, present tense, love him. These people had not just believed some things about Jesus, signed off on a piece of paper. No, they loved this person that they had been introduced to. Like Mrs. Tom Burney, but in a much greater way, they loved someone that they had not yet met. And this is showing us one of the first key elements of what a refined, tested faith looks like in the present tense. What does it look like today to have a faith that's been purified? It looks like loving someone that you've never seen. Now, we're going to move on to our second point, but don't, don't worry. We're going to come back and think about some of the implications of this. But let's, let's see how the second idea that Peter goes on to explain is that faith, purified, tested, refined faith, means believing in someone you don't see. Halfway through verse 8 we read, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So Peter said, you haven't seen him, and right now you do not yet see him. And, and, and by the way, this is where Peter and his readers were in the same boat. Peter didn't see Jesus anymore, and his readers didn't see Jesus anymore. And, and maybe we might think, well, I mean, this might have been easier for Peter because, you know, he had seen Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, John 20, 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I bet you Peter's thinking about those words here. The special blessing for people like Peter's readers, people like us who continue to believe in someone that we continue to not see. It's a good reminder for here about our visual age. And I've heard lots of stories that get a lot of people excited about people having dreams and visions about Jesus. We're, we can go, not, we don't have to look far to find movies or TV shows about Jesus, pictures of Jesus all over the place. And, and I don't think that the Lord has never used a dream or a vision to bring someone to himself, I'm not saying that. And I don't deny that movies about, or TV shows even about Jesus have, have never been used to bring someone to himself, I'm not, not saying that. But we can't miss that, that Peter assumes that the Christian life is an ongoing experience of not seeing Jesus in his body with our eyes. Christians do not see the form of Jesus with our eyes. And yet, not seeing, we believe. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. I mean, that's just the essence of faith, isn't it? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the conviction of things not seen including Jesus, especially Jesus. Not seeing, we believe. But what, what is this belief? And we've already seen part of the answer. It involves love. And in verse 8, it goes on to say that this faith that believes in Jesus, not seeing him, also includes 
joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Now, what's, what's interesting here is that in, in the original language, the word in, you believe in him, that word in also affects the word rejoice. So it's, 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 here's just what I mean by that. We believe in him and we rejoice in him. Our, our, we rejoice in Jesus. It's not like we believe in him and then we rejoice in something else. We believe and we rejoice in Jesus. The King James Version, I'm going to quote it again because it's, it's, it's actually, I think, a little better here. It says this, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Okay, there's a reason we don't use the King James Version on a regular basis. That's hard to understand, but you see what's getting at there is that we not only believe in Jesus, but we rejoice in Jesus. The joy that Peter's talking about is a joy in Jesus. Genuine, tested faith is not just about our brains, it's about our hearts rejoicing in the Jesus whom we believe in. And this isn't just a tiny little bit of joy. I mean, look what it says. You rejoice with joy that is first inexpressible, <laughs> which means you can't express it. <laughs> you can't put it into words. Sam Storm says, this joy defies all human efforts at understanding or explanation. You've seen this joy, haven't you? When you've talked to someone who's just gone through an excruciating tragedy and yet they're joyful, haven't you you've met people like that? You've seen this joy in someone who has suffered and yet through that suffering has found Jesus to be better than anything they've lost and, 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 and there's joy? How do you explain that? You don't explain it. You can't explain it. That, that's the point of this word, inexpressible. You can't explain it. But it's true. It's a joy in Jesus, purified by faith, that's inexpressible, and it's filled with glory. Filled with glory. Now, we might wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a joy that's filled with glory? Well, what do we know about glory from what Peter's told us before? Look at verse 7. What do we know about glory? Well, we know that the tested genuineness of our faith is going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it would make sense that when Peter says our, our joy today is full of glory, that he's not talking about something else. What he's saying is that our joy in Jesus is shot through with the glory that Jesus is going to get and share with us when he returns. I mean, try and explain that by just comparing it to another, another situation. I think we've all seen this experience in the eyes of a child when they talk about their birthday that's 11 months away. <laughs> and the glory, the glory of that birthday party the balloons and the cake and the gifts. The glory of that birthday party is working backwards and is filling them with joy today. And you see it in their eyes and you hear it in their voice. And, and, and you can think of all kinds of, of situations where 
future glory gives present joy. And, and, and that's, that's what Peter's pointing to here. So notice now that we're back to the future. We have present joy in Jesus, but it's not just a sort of mystical experience, rather it's a joy that exists because we know the glory that we're gonna enjoy with him when he returns. And we know we're on the right track because verse nine says that we believe in Jesus, we rejoice in Jesus because we are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now the word because isn't, isn't in the text, but it's, it's implied here. This, this is, is why we're rejoicing, because we know that we're gonna obtain the outcome of our faith. Now we, we need to just, again, we need to pay attention to the way that Peter writes things. And some of this might feel a little technical, but, but when we pay attention to this, the truth comes out. Notice that Peter says, obtaining, present tense, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that might lead us to think that we're getting it today. But this word obtaining is kind of like the word getting, which in English we use all the time to talk about something that's happening in the future. Like if I say to my kids, you're getting hamburgers for supper. Getting is present tense. You are getting hamburgers for supper, future. It works the same way in Greek. You are obtaining the outcome of your faith. Did you follow? It's talking about what's coming in the future. You are, you are going to obtain, you are going to get, you are going to obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And soul does not just mean the little part of us that's gonna float around on a cloud. This is a word, Peter uses it to talk about our whole selves. And, and we know, as we've talked in the last few weeks, that this salvation of our souls is a salvation of our whole selves, our whole bodies, and beyond that, the whole creation. The full and final salvation we're waiting for, new bodies on a new earth with Jesus. This is the future that we're longing for. This is the hope that haunts all of our joys. This is the truer and better country that we've been looking for our whole lives, even if we don't actually know it. The, the best things that we've tasted here in this life are just little foretastes of that salvation. Our whole selves, body and spirit, redeemed, living in a world made new, even better than Eden, with the Savior who died to bring us there. And that last statement there, that's what will make the new creation the best. That's what will make heaven heaven, is the presence of Jesus. If you know Jesus, you wouldn't want to be on a new earth with a new body and know Jesus. That, that wouldn't be heaven to you. That, that'd actually be something like hell, to be stuck somewhere forever without Jesus. That's actually why he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden so they couldn't eat the tree of eternal life. That would be hell eternal life without Jesus. What does Jesus say in John 17, three? This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the salvation of our souls will be realized in these words from Revelation 21, three, 
where John heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's, that, that's our future, folks. That's what we're headed for. And that salvation of our souls, full and final, is what causes us today to rejoice, to rejoice in Jesus, knowing all that he's done, all that he's preparing, and all that he's promised. And this is what a purified faith looks like. This is what's left over after suffering has turned up the heat and burned off our petty, small desires to build kingdoms for ourselves here on earth. This is what's left over after persecution has burned off any idea that maybe we could fit in with this world and have Jesus at the same time. This is what's left over after suffering has made us realize that there's actually nothing here that we really want more than Jesus. And what's left behind after the fire of suffering is love for Jesus, belief in Jesus, and a joy in Jesus as we look forward to the day that we're going to see him. And that longing flows backwards and fills us with love in the present tense. Now we want to we want to pause and consider here just in a little bit more detail some of the implications of what Peter is saying here about the nature of tested faith in Jesus. If all this is true as we've walked through verses 8 and 9 what does that tell us about what it means to believe in Jesus? And there's two tracks that we want to go down. There's a lot, lot, there's a lot of tracks we could go down, but the first track we want to go down is just to consider our place in all of this. Having seen now, having seen that faith means loving someone we have not seen, believing and rejoicing in someone we do not see, what does it look like to experience that in the present tense? And the first point we want to see here is that genuine tested faith is more, it means more than just nodding yes. Here's what I mean by that. Faith is not just something we do with our brains. Some of you may have heard of the phrase mental assent. And that's talking about if, when, with your brain, you go, okay, I can believe that. That's mental assent. You're assenting to something mentally. So, for example, if I told you um, I, had, I had a salad for lunch on Wednesday, would you believe me? Well, my guess is most of you would. Now, you haven't seen the salad. You haven't touched or tasted the salad. You didn't watch me eat it. You haven't seen pictures of it. But you believe me that I ate a salad for lunch on Wednesday. That's faith, right? That is a type of faith that you're exercising right now. But, but it's just you saying in your brain, okay, I can believe that, sure. So that's mental assent. You're just agreeing to something that could be true and, and why not? 
I have no problem believing in that. Sure. Nodding yes. Mental assent. If one of you were to come up to me afterwards and say, tell me about the salad. How was it? Okay, that's a little bit more than mental assent. Could I come have a salad with you next Wednesday? Okay, that's more than just mental assent. That's getting more into the faith that Peter's talking about here. But, but just before we get there, sure, you had a salad on Wednesday? Great, yeah, I believe that. Mental assent. I think, I wonder if that's how some people think about faith in Jesus. You tell them that a man lived in ancient history and died to give them salvation? Okay, sure. I, I, I can believe that. I mean, especially if you tell them that if they believe this, they won't go to hell and they'll get to go to a better place when they die. I mean, that, that sounds pretty low risk, right? Like, if I just have to sign on the dotted line to some theological truths that don't really matter, That'll never make a difference in my life in the remote chance that if it's all true, I'll avoid hell. Sure, I can believe that. It's like uh, when we click agree on the terms and conditions when you sign up for something on your computer. I mean, how many of you read those? I mean, so when we were doing a, a Zoom Bible study during, during the lockdown, someone called me and they're like, I'm gonna be late. These terms and conditions on Zoom are taking me a long time to get through. Okay, you're allowed to laugh, right? Because like, who actually reads those? We'll agree to a lot if there's a good product on the other end, right? Oh, new account, or even like, you know, signing up for a new credit card, 18 pages of fine print. I'm sure it's fine and we sign. We'll agree to a lot for, for a good product. And I wonder how many people believe in Jesus in that way, just like clicking agree on the terms of service. Sure, I'll raise my hand, I'll go down to the front, I mean, I'll get baptized if I need to, but the Bible really just seems like a whole bunch of fine print to get what you really want, which might be escaping hell, might be not having a guilty conscience, might be having a nice group of people to hang out with on Sundays, that's not the kind of faith that Peter has in mind. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter does not have in mind just nodding yes, clicking agree, signing on a dotted line. Jesus is not a ticket that we believe in in order to get at something else. Genuine faith, according to Peter, is shown by love for Jesus and joy in Jesus. Faith is about Jesus. It longs to be with Jesus. It's, it's all about him. I mean, that's why Paul can say, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, listen to this. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Wow, right? Because that's where faith shows up. Faith shows up in love. And, and, and here's what we need to understand. This isn't as if you've got faith in Jesus and then you gotta go somewhere else and figure out some of this love stuff and bring it back and make it a complete package. It's not, that's not what's going on here. Rather, if you really believe in Jesus, as if you, you really have believed the things that you've been told, you will love him and rejoice in him. How could it be possible to really believe in Jesus and, and not love him? I mean, who else is like Jesus? 
Where else, in what other person, do we see such a perfect arrangement of, of, of glories coming together in one person? Who else is as gentle as a lamb, as fierce like a lion? Look at Jesus, just look at him. Look at, look at him in the manger, descending from, from, from heaven's worship to the, 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 the fragileness and smallness of an infant's body. Look, just look at Jesus cheerfully submitting to human parents for all those years. We can barely work a job for two weeks if we think we know more than our boss. Jesus built the planet and he goes for decades submitting to his parents. Who else can do that? Look at Jesus living faithfully for 30 years, the first man in history to faithfully keep God's law. Perfectly. Look at Jesus there on the banks of the Jordan, humbling himself even further by letting his cousin treat him like he's a sinner, baptizing him for repentance. Feel the Father's delight in him as he shouts his pleasure from heaven. Watch Jesus out in the wilderness, pushed to the limits of human endurance and yet not yielding an inch to the onslaught of the dragon. Watch Jesus rely on his Father with perfect trust, though it looked to all eyes like he'd been forgotten by him. Look at Jesus in the boat talking to storms and they actually listen to him. Watch the demons whimper and cower in the presence of a, of a power that they'd never encountered before. See the, the tenderness of Jesus as he takes a little girl by the hand to lead her out of the grip of death and back to the arms of an astonished father. Look, look at Jesus reaching out to touch the scabby skin of lepers and how their diseases give way to his contagious wholeness. Look at him sweating in Gethsemane, already feeling crushed by the weight of what's coming and yet taking it with perfect surrender. Look at Jesus knock over the soldiers in the garden with two words and yet offer his hands to be bound. Watch as the Lord of angel armies holds his tongue all night long while petty bullies invent silly lies about him. Watch him. Watch him as he lies down and takes the nails with open arms. Watch, watch as he fights for every breath while he hangs on the cross, cursed by, by God and by man, lamenting and still trusting. Watch as the good shepherd bears his throat and lets the wolves take him down in order that his sheep might go free. Watch as he gives up his life and commits it into the hands of a father who he felt abandoned by. Go to the tomb and see the dawning of the age to come as Jesus, the new Adam, breathes anew and leaves the place of death behind. Hear the angels rejoice as he returns to the right hand of his father and as he pours out his very spirit upon his followers below that he had shaped and prepared for this moment. Consider his work today in heaven, how he watches over his loved ones. He prays for them before the father. What a faithful high priest we have. 
consider his work here today on earth. How through his spirit, he's bringing together people like us, calling together his body from all the corners of the earth. 2,000 years of Satan's best efforts have not done a thing to stop him. Locked up in prison, slaughtered by terrorists, pushed around and oppressed, Jesus' resurrection life flowing through his followers is unquenchable. And, and, and consider the patience of Jesus, how he waits for his bride to be made perfect, for all peoples to be invited in, and consider his power, the might, as he soon invades planet Earth, and all of the superpowers, visible and invisible, heaven and earth won't be able to do a thing to stop him. How can you believe in this Jesus and not love him? You can't. It's impossible. Someone who, who has never tasted joy and love in this person has never actually believed in him because you can't believe that all of this is true and, and know that you get to spend forever with this person and not feel something, not love him, not rejoice in him. So believing in Jesus means more than just nodding our heads Believing in Jesus means embracing a person that we love because he's so lovely. And that love shows itself through joy and through continued faith. Now I trust that what we've done together this morning and even just these past few minutes have been encouraging to you because I really deliberately wanted to not just talk about loving Jesus, to not just talk about believing in Jesus, but to talk about Jesus. Because I know that as we do that, I know that the hearts of dozens of people in this room right now are just singing, just going, yes, I, I love him, I love him. And I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope you've tasted even just a little the very thing that we've been talking about this morning. I hope that we've experienced, and just maybe just a little tiny bit, we've experienced the Word of God as we have experienced and tasted love and joy and belief in Jesus. And where we want to end our time here today is by just considering how important it is that you and I pursue love for Jesus and joy in Jesus together. I hope you can see here, just even in what we've done in the last few minutes, that love and joy in Jesus are not pursued through mystical experiences. It's not like we've got our normal Christian life over here, and then we go to these you know, spiritual retreat weekends where we meditate or something, and that's where we get our love and joy from. No. We, we love the Jesus who's revealed to us in the teaching of the apostles. In the word of God, that's where our joy comes from. Like we've just tasted the purified faith that loves Jesus comes from this precious book. It's a faith that's rooted and fueled by God's word because it's the truth about Jesus. So church, church, love this Jesus. Love this Jesus. 
and let the sufferings of this life that I know some of you are experiencing right now and I know all of you will experience, let the sufferings of this life burn everything away until what remains is a pure love for your Savior. Know that, that that's what's happening the next time that something blindsides you and you say, God, what are you doing? Know that one of the things he's up to is burning away what is not pure in your faith in, in, in the Lord Jesus. And let's pursue this joy in Jesus together. This is what we're after together as a church, right? When we gather here on Sundays or in homes throughout the week as we learn together and pray together, we're not just trying to pack our heads with stuff. We're not just doing religious duties. We are not a social club. We're here to help each other grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus that we might believe in him deeper, that we might love him more fully, that we might rejoice in him together. So let's do this together. And as we end here, I just want to encourage you, take, take a step towards Jesus with your week. Whatever your week is going to look like, take, take a step towards Jesus. Whether that's a first step or, or one more step in a long line of steps, don't coast in your love for this Jesus. How, how could we not want to just get to know him better and want to just adore him more? So take a step towards Jesus. You know what that looks like. You, you, you've been told, I'm sure, so many times of the ways that, that we pursue Jesus on our own and together. Take a step towards Jesus. And church, let's link arms and help each other pursue joy in this Jesus until the day, until the day when our faith becomes sight. Till the day when he's revealed and we see him and we catch each other's eyes and we say, see, even better than we thought. Oh Lord, we want to love Jesus more than we do. We want to believe in Jesus more deeper. We want to rejoice in him more fully. And even as we do that, Lord, we just want to thank you for introducing us to Jesus. Of, of all the blessings you've given us, Lord, in salvation, of, of all the, the blessings of having our sins forgiven, of, of being given a bright future, the best, the best thing is knowing Jesus. And the best thing will be finally knowing him with sight forever. Oh, so Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to, to really love our Savior? Would you help us to link arms with one another as we run towards him together? Would you help the sufferings that we taste to purify and, and leave behind a pure, brighter love for Jesus? Would you keep us, Lord, from the things that distract us from Jesus and take away and, and, and pull us away from him? Would you help us, Lord, this week to, to take a step towards our Savior, to pursue him on our own and together? And Lord, would you keep us faithful till he comes back? Jesus, please don't let that be long. We love you now, and we long to be with you where our eyes see you, our ears hear you. No faith required. Until then, keep us, Lord. 
Amen.